Hi, I'm Sean O. McCarthy, founding editor of the Comics Comic. Found wherever you can type the Comics Comic into your electronic devices. Welcome to Last Things First, the show that asks comedians about the historic lasts and firsts in their lives as their comedy careers have blossomed, from young people's dreams to adult people living those dreams, or still dreaming. Questions both big and small are asked and answered. It's hopefully both amusing and illuminating. Kylie Brakeman is an actress and comedian who broke through during the pandemic as millions have found themselves laughing and sharing her videos where she faces the camera as one of many high-energy characters just trying to make sense of the world we live in now. From the strength of her videos on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, Brakeman has landed writing jobs on Peacock's The Kids Tonight Show as well as the Discovery Plus series Kicking and Streaming. Brakeman is showcasing her character live and in person at the 2022 Edinburgh Fringe Festival with Kylie Brakeman Presents, Linda Hollywood's Big Hollywood Night. But first, she sat with me to talk about her life and career thus far. If you like this conversation, please consider subscribing to my substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com so you can read bonus commentary on this episode as well as more comedy news and insights. Thanks in advance. And now that that's out of the way, let's get to it. Pre-congratulations on taking your first show to Edinburgh, to the Edinburgh Fringe. Thank you. Yeah, I am very excited. Uh, It looks like just such a blast to be there. And uh, the show is really fun. And so I'm, I'm really excited to do it. So tell me about Linda Hollywood then, because she's probably someone who people who just follow you from Twitter or Instagram or TikTok, you may have been introduced to Linda Hollywood, but maybe not. Yeah. So basically I've only ever done like one video with her. She's just like an agent producer, just general Hollywood cartoon type driving down Sunset Boulevard, taking calls, saying like absolute showbiz gibberish. And um, at first the show sort of started out with her as an anchor just as a way for me to showcase other characters. Like, I'm like, okay, she's like a fun rock and like host to come back to each time. But as I started developing it, it became like more and more about her and really diving into like, okay, yeah, she's a cartoon character and she acts this way and she's like very Hollywood, but like what, like those people do kind of exist and what is their like deeper underlying problem and like what, who would they actually be? Um, and so it's still, uh, like I, there's a lot of characters in the show, but they're more like thematically tied to like her and her world. There's like a lot of new stuff. And so it's, it's both things that I was doing, um, before the pandemic, like on stage that are just like goofy. And then there are some that are adapted straight from videos, um, and have been worked out for stage. So it's like kind of a whole mix. I'm throwing shit at the wall and seeing what's sticking right now. So <laughs> and I'm having a blast. You brought up a few things that I want to follow up on. I guess the one thing you didn't bring up is you grew up in Hollywood or Hollywood adjacent, right? You're from Pasadena. Yes, I'm Hollywood adjacent. So how much does growing up in the shadow of Hollywood kind of how much has that influenced or colored your perspective on show business? Yeah, I think it's like the proximity, of course, is very like it definitely does inform a lot of that. And my parents, like my mom uh, produces 
uh, award shows and like live variety shows. And my dad uh, works in commercials. Uh, he does sound for commercials and he's also been like an actor and an improviser and stand up and all that. And so it's like, they, I, I sort of like, that's their world a little bit. And so I was kind of raised like on this lingo and they're not those types of people at all. Like there is the whole like Hollywood, like working class sort of genre of person mm-hmm. that isn't this, but like definitely being exposed to that and being exposed to that sense of humor and that sensibility was a huge influence on me. And then I was also, I watched like a lot of 30 rock growing up. And so <laughs> that was a, another big, like big influence on me. And I was like, why aren't these kids on the playground laughing at all these jokes about writer's rooms? Like, why don't they, <laughs> why don't they like this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so yeah, definitely being immersed in the world a little bit. And I still feel like an outsider. I haven't like done that much. I don't have that many credits, but like it, it just being around these people is like, it's a constant source of inspiration. And I, I found, I find the world so funny to me. It's funny that you would think of yourself as an outsider. Well, not funny, <laughs> haha, but funny to me because you grew up in Pasadena, but then you also went to college in LA, right? You went to Occidental. So you've, and then out of Occidental, you what went into UCB. So you were born and raised in the system. It's true. I just haven't fully clawed my way in yet um, (laughs) is how I feel. I'm like, it's this weird feeling where like the internet has put me on this sort of like level of visibility that I definitely Mm -hmm. didn't have before, but I sort of feel like I cheated. You know, like I didn't, I wasn't like on a show and then got a hundred thousand followers or like had this like long writing career. And then people knew who I was. It's like, I skipped a step and now I have to prove it. Well, you skipped a step, but then in some, in some ways you didn't, right? Because tell me yeah. what, or tell us what your career was like before the pandemic, right? Cause you graduate from college sure, and then you're, yeah. you're trying to break, what's it like trying to break into UCB and like, 2018 2019 yeah when it's already become this pipeline that everybody not just people who grew up in LA but everybody is like converging on LA and trying to get into the Franklin Theater trying to get into the Sunset Theater both both of which now are are donezo closed yeah but what was it like in those last couple years of the UCB to try to break into the system graduated in 2018 and then I was truly just like bumming around like waiting for something to happen like working in all these restaurants And then in 2019, I got on a mod team and then uh, Characters Welcome and then the House uh, House B team uh, mess hall improv team, which is not Harold Knight. It's like Mm -hmm. where they put all the people who are like, you might be able to do this at some point. And so do you I get was, it, like, do you get a slot? Does a house B team, did they get slots at like Sunset or Franklin? They got or what? slots at the um, Sunset Inner Sanctum, which was Ooh. their like sort of cafe space. Um, <laughs> so you're like performing to the people who are waiting to see the better show. Yeah, yeah. It's for the people who couldn't get into Ascat. They're like, <laughs> you can go see Mess Hall over there and watch a bunch of people just like really trying to do their ma- the math in their head of what a Herald is. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but I, it's technically a house team. And so I was on three teams at once, just kind of like walked right in, in a way. Like I did classes, but... I I was shocked at how fast it happened. Um, 
but it was great. And I did feel like it was kind of oversaturated by the time that I got there. Like I'm told the prime time of UCB where you could get a writer's job from it or like get opportunities from it was like maybe a few years before that time. Mm -hmm. Um, It definitely felt like a bottleneck a little bit. I was emailing hundreds of reps just like, hey, I'm on UCB teams now. Do you want to talk to me? And they did not care. That was hmm. not, um, not didn't really help that much. I Like I met with a couple people right before the pandemic, like March 10th. And then I followed up and they were like, we're um, having coronavirus. So we're, we're not going to talk to you right now. But yeah, then I started posting videos um, just sort of as a way to, prove to myself that I was still doing something and trying to create like a sort of like visual resume to send to people and be like, this is my body of work. I know that I I'm not on stage anymore. I'm not like doing, I don't have that like theater endorsement of like a house team, but Mm -hmm. I am still working on stuff and it, I never could have predicted this. You have videos that predate the pandemic whether yeah. it's you have videos of you doing stand up there's there's videos of you doing sketches on stage on on video characters welcome stuff yeah. so you had you had like the makings of a reel before the pandemic but I did I think it's just this specific style that was like the right place at the right time cuz I mean the sketch stuff that I was doing before then was very like three camera setups and it's edited and there's like a setup and then you reveal the game and there's, then you like, you beat it out and you heighten it and then you get out and it's three minutes. But now like that just was not what people wanted to see anymore. And people wanted it to be like very stripped back, very lo-fi. It was this weird time where I think we're out of it now a little bit where like people just wanted to see like your friend on FaceTime doing a bit, essentially. They didn't want to work. They didn't want to, people got so, like the sh- attention spans got so short where nobody could even watch through a setup anymore. Like if you, you have to set it up in the can, in the caption and then deliver it like immediately or else nobody cares. Right. I remember there were before the pandemic, the front facing character comedy was, Starting to become a thing in 2019. I remember every year, Jason Zinneman, who's the critic at the New York Times, he and I do a year in review kind of thing. And I remember at the end of 2019, we were talking about the rise of the front facing camera people. And at that time, there were only like a few people. I think like uh, Eva Victor was one. uh, Alyssa Limparis was another. Yeah. And Natalie Walker was the first person I saw. Natalie Walker. Yeah. Whoa, you can do that. So uh, that, that leads to my question. Like, what did you see out there? You just mentioned Natalie. What did you see out there that made you go, oh, I could do this without having a stage or a crew? Yeah, I think it was um, it was probably her. I mean, pretty much everyone you've mentioned, a lot of those people started posting at the same time I did, or that was mm-hmm. at least like when I noticed them. I think there was this like really uh, golden time window where everyone was at home. And so a lot of those people shot up at the same time. Right. Lockdown um, number one. Yeah. Yeah. The first, the, the, the real one where people were still <laughs> listening to it. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought they were so funny. And I, I was like, well, I don't really, I can't really get together with people and like write something and shoot it. So I'm going to do my best. And 
I had done like one or two videos that were like front facing before the like mask one that went super viral and they got like a little bit of traction on like my friends really liked them and so I had like the smallest bit of confidence to like keep going but I shot a lot in those early days of the pandemic that I didn't post because I was like this is horrible (laughs) but I I eventually found it and I'm glad Mm -hmm. that I had quality control for right but how did you have that and that was all internal or did you like run it past friends Um, I usually like most characters start with like a phrase that I think is funny Mm -hmm. or like just a, like, like just something I'll be saying to myself in the shower or in a car. And then I'm like, okay, well, who would this person be? I think the mask one was me kind of going for clickbait in the way that I'm like, I don't think I've seen anybody do this concept yet. Mm-hmm. I think Blair Erskine did it like the next day or like a day before. Um, and so it was like, it was starting. People were like, and of course everyone's done it now, but I was like, I bet, I bet this could be something. Yeah. Because, you know, the pandemic lockdown started in March of 2020 and your mask video, that wasn't until July. Yeah. That came I think out. It was, so that's a few, was that, that's yeah. a few months of you being holed up, without it without it an outlet yeah and then there was the whole month of I believe June or May and June where it was just like you know the protests were happening and there was police outside our house every day the helicopters were going crazy like it just felt really apocalyptic and I think the tone of everything online was like a very justified like reckoning and everything and so Mm -hmm. I wasn't making anything I wasn't doing any of that um and I think it slowly became like okay people are posting content again like there was like another window right yeah it was it was it was just a scary wild time I'm like oh man I I can't believe the police shot something that was very scary and I almost got Mm -hmm. trampled by a mob (laughs) and I'm like wow we are going zero to 100 very fast that's kind of one of the one of the great not not so secrets of your successful videos is they go from zero to 100 right (laughs) <laughs> like the 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 art of the jump cut a lot of your characters like I think you mentioned even in the beginning when you're talking about Linda Hollywood like you're drawn to these like adult kind of spiraling characters and each one of you each one of the front facing videos that's become really popular has that element to it yeah yeah I think when I eventually got in the New York Times they described me as a high-strung Yankee Which was like, I had no idea because I think I feel like I'm self-aware and I feel like I know what my comedy is. But then I I guess through the Internet, I've learned that I'm manic and that I'm loud. (laughs) I I never knew that that was the label. But like looking back, I'm like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Everybody's high strung. Everybody's at their wits end. Everybody's like just a wine mom who has had enough. Part of that's editing, though. Yes. The jump cuts um, are a comedian's best friend. Mm -hmm. They like, because even if you don't write a joke, if you put a jump cut, if it cuts fast enough, it sounds like a joke. (laughs) And so (laughs) it's a little bit of cheating. How long did the mask video take? 
to put together about an hour. Did you have it all written or were you, did you have some outlines and you're like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to riff and see what sticks later. I had like five lines written and then Mm -hmm. I just kind of went out to our garage because I was self-conscious. I didn't want my roommates to hear me. And we were sort of living in this giant, like crazy cheap house that we got on this wild deal. And so we had this like haunted condemned garage where I filmed most of my videos in 2020. And I just kind of sat there and just started, started talking. Um, And yeah, I usually improvise about half. And usually the improvised ones are a little better because they're a little looser and a little, um, a little less like stiff. How much, how much of it did you find that you wanted to keep versus how much you're like, Oh no, that's, that's garbage. I think I, but these ones are good. (laughs) Yeah. I think the, um, the earlier videos, I definitely shot way more. I think like over time I was able to do it in like less, like I knew how much to cut. And then also the amount of time that videos lasted gradually went down like people started stopped watching like things that were more than a minute 30 seconds and then now it's like nothing I post is longer than like 45 seconds so Mm -hmm. eventually we'll just put we'll just be back to vine (laughs) right Um, (laughs) we just keep reinventing the wheel that's it's funny you say that because tiktok is going in the other direction tiktok started with like a minute and now you can do 10 minutes I think yeah it's long and youtube videos are 35 minutes now but they're also going shorter like well, they do one have thing these I, youtube short shorts which i yeah. can't figure out i don't know how to succeed on youtube i've tried for years <laughs> although fun fact if you if you look up your imdp page your shorts are all listed someone went through <laughs> and put me as the executive producer of why I won't wear a mask and I cannot (laughs) figure out how to take it down. I tried to take it down. I think my manager tried to take it down. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. I guess it's there to stay. (laughs) Um, You mentioned filming that in a, in a big old house with roommates. What were, what was their reaction when that blew up? I think they were just kind of like fascinated by it. Like, I mean, I was always like the, like they don't do comedy. Uh, so okay. I was I was kind of like that token friend who was like doing weirder stuff. And eventually they were just like, okay, there she is. She's filming her videos. But I'm glad that they did well because then it was a justification for like, okay, no, she has to do that because <laughs> she's got external validation from it. And but was, they were very supportive. Okay. And what was what was the immediate impact of going viral? Was there one other than gaining followers was there any like tangible impact in terms of your show business career yeah well I um I went on a lot of uh panic walks because I just kept watching the numbers go up and up and up in a way that was just like jarring um and then I I did get representation from it I got some a lot of interviews with uh podcasts and websites and stuff like that and then um I interviewed for a few shows uh to write um and then it's just kind of like a general visibility thing like of people people reach out to offer you things mm-hmm. more easily now um I got to write for the kids tonight show which was like a spin-off of 
uh, Jimmy Fallon's show, but hosted by 10-year-olds. It was very cute. It was a very adorable time. Um, but yeah, it's been great. It's, there's just like a lot, it, it's like this new category of visibility that mm-hmm. I definitely didn't have before. And I was just trying to work out. And I know that like, if the pandemic hadn't happened and if I was still at UCB, like I would probably still be in the same place career wise, because it just, it just seemed like the, the well had dried up over there in terms of opportunities because there were so many talented people. The Kids Tonight Show, did that, does that film and work in uh, 30 Rock? That was not 30 Rock, yeah. So it was it was just, uh, it was amazing. And it was my first time in New York and I got to live there for like two months. Um, and it was very like, girl from a small town is in New York City, even though the town I'm from is Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Uh, I still felt that like, whoa, the buildings are so tall, like tiny girl feeling. But as that... You know, you're writing for 10-year-olds, but you were describing yourself as a 10-year-old quoting 30 Rock. So it kind of comes full circle, right? It's full circle. You 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 never expect it. Uh, you also wrote for uh, a series called Kicking and Streaming. Yes, that was, was a uh, Discovery Plus show with right. uh, Grace Helbig and Memory Hart. Right. And I know both of them from before they became YouTube stars. Oh, really? Did you learn anything writing for them and working with them in terms of how they have been able to pivot and parlay their internet stardom? Well, I I think the main thing that I walked away from that with was like how like they had a very specific style of like improv and like riffing off each other that was just like it's like perfecting the art of this like YouTube reaction thing which I think people (laughs) like don't always consider as like a but they were like so efficient at like getting it out and like because so much of it is them like there were scripted parts that I wrote but like they were just so good at bouncing off each other and like knowing what they had to do to get it done. You mentioned recently on Twitter that you're posting more of your videos in 2022. These days, you're posting more videos on Instagram versus Twitter because it helps your career more to be on Instagram. I know that you've also like done stuff with Cameo and with Patreon. So just from the business side of, of being an internet comedian, how, is, how has that changed just in the last couple of years? Like where the business is? So my, uh, I can make money on Instagram just by like getting bonuses. It's not a lot at all. Like I'm not, I'm not rolling in it in any way. I can't pay my rent with it, but it does like having more followers on Instagram. I'm learning like if it puts you in front of brands, it's like a a way to get, like you can't really do spawn con on Twitter as much. And Mm -hmm. Twitter doesn't really have much in terms of monetization at all. And TikTok is, I was on the creator fund and then I got off of it and then my views went up. So I'm like, I guess I just won't make money on this thing. Interesting. (laughs) But I think it is like a visibility, like ability to get yourself in front of brands type thing uh, that, that helps you on like a monetary level. I think that Twitter is still good for career stuff because I think a lot of like Hollywood people are on Twitter, but it's a different type of video that succeeds on Instagram and sometimes TikTok as opposed to Twitter. Like I feel like 
on Twitter, people don't really want to see something that's not like cerebral, low effort. Like, I think on Instagram, you have more freedom to be a little louder, to be a little more broad and to do something that's like a little more sketch comedy as opposed Mm -hmm. to like uh, Twitter videos, which I still try and do, but I'm just trying to like follow what's fun right now because I have the followers. And so I just want to like be, have the freedom to just post whatever I want creatively and not worry about like, Oh no, my views will tank if I do this because now I at least like have the established people. And so it's a, it's a good place to be, to be able to throw out stupid things and (laughs) somehow hundreds of thousands of people still see it. (laughs) Right. Yeah. You just had another one about like a screenwriter date, I think. Yeah, yeah. Henry Typewriter, the <laughs> man who talks to you at Starbucks. <laughs> and of course, you had that intentional viral tweet of asking if, if anyone would be willing to watch Star Wars for an hour. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for an, for one was, hour for a million dollars. I can't believe I did. Like, there was one day where I was like, I'm going to tweet in the style of those viral tweets that get 200,000 likes mm-hmm. I tweeted like 20 tweets that day they were all mm-hmm. just in the style of like that feeling when socks are warm greater mm-hmm. than greater than greater than nothing like just real clickbaity like <laughs> the most basic things you could ever tweet and that Star Wars one I got so close I got 150,000 likes I was like there is such a chance I pull this off <laughs> it was like one of my most proud one of my proudest moments I'm like <laughs> This is nuts. Do you care at this point, like, if something really hits or if it just pleases enough of, like, your friends? I think if it's something that, like, I... And luckily, there's usually a correlation of, like, if there's one that I really believe is good and funny, it usually uh, does well. Mm -hmm. Um, But... There are some that I'm like, okay, I'm just throwing this one out there. And then it'll get the like standard amount of people who will like typically respond. Um, so it's like, it's kind of a freedom thing of like, I, I know that something will never like tank tank anymore, which is like kind of good, kind of bad. Um, but yeah, I think, I think most of the time what I find funny is like, is going to do better. Okay. Do you, has your attitude changed on that? Because I know you also uh, at various times like been involved with Patreon and with Cameo, which can feel like more like doing art for commerce sake, yeah. the business part of show business. What was your experience with those platforms like? I, well, Cameo, I think was more effective for me when it was like still COVID, still like the the like the fever the feverish nature of like the trump years and like it was a lot of people just being like can you do the trump robot to like my my dad um it was it's good and every once in a while like i still get them sometimes Mm -hmm. um and it was it did cameo did pay my rent for a few months in 2020 which was like it was it was good i i never expected to be able to like actually make money doing it Patreon, I never got the hang of. I think I just felt guilty taking people's money after a certain point, even though I didn't have a job. I was not like doing financially that well. But Mm -hmm. I just I think I have this weird thing where I'm like, I can't 
ultimately I could go live at my parents' house if I absolutely needed to. I can't take your money. (laughs) And to bring it all back to where we started talking about Edinburgh, preparing to do a month long run of a live show. Mm -hmm. How does it feel knowing that most of the people who come to see you will only know you from these short jump cut bursts that you can't, that you can't quite replicate in person or can you? Or can you? That's the question. Uh, You can't. (laughs) (laughs) You can't speak that way for an hour. I I, I can't keep it up. Um, But yeah, it'll be interesting because they'll get to see, I think like a different side of me, like the side that I started with and the side that like is more, I don't know, that, that is like a slower pace, a more like set up, reveal game, keep going, like character stuff that's, it, that it that's just so so much different than what's online um I went to do a half hour version of it like just the very beginning of testing it out uh I my boyfriend's in a sketch group called business casual and they uh they they do shows as well and they they and I split a bill in Albuquerque which is a, a place I've never been, but like, I got like a lot of people from Instagram being like, Hey, so, so great to be there. So great to like meet you. So great to see the show. And it just like, really, I don't know. It, it, it just like touched me that someone would watch my stuff and like it enough to show up in person. I think it's also a very LA mentality of like, nobody wants to see shows here. Like in theory you do, you'll like say, right. Oh yeah, I'm coming. Come to my friend's show. You're absolutely not coming. <laughs> <laughs> you're not driving there wherever it is. You're not driving to it. Um, and so to be in an environment where everyone is specifically there to see shows I'm like, I'm very excited. I'm very curious to see what will happen. It's curious. It's, I'll be interested to see uh, if it shows up, if the audience translates and if they hate it or if they're like, yeah, that's what we expected from you. (laughs) So how have your, how your own expectations for your career changed since you graduated from college? I'm definitely harder on myself now. I think I like, I think there's also just like this, this weird blanket realm of possibility thing where it's like, oh, if I worked really hard on that, I could probably do that. Or if I, if I just put all my energy in this and it's just this like, this sort of endless options choice thing. And so you're paralyzed by it. And so you do nothing. I I don't know. I think before, I mean, my only goal in the world was to get on a UCB house team. And that was like it. And I was like, if I'll do, if I do that, then that's all I need, like mm-hmm. ever. And then I did it. And then it's like the floor is just raised every time. And then you get something and then you go, oh yeah, well, I expected this. I deserve this. That's the absolute least I could do. But what I really want is this. And then you get that. And then you're like, well, that's nothing because I already <laughs> did that. And so I have to get something else. It's really never ending, but it is definitely like, I feel like I have, I want more from myself, if that makes sense. It does. I mean, that's kind of a, it's a very human impulse to always want more, to never be fulfilled, yeah. <laughs> which which can be kind of sad at the same time. Yeah. Like, when can I just be happy with what I have? Yeah. Well, I can. I can definitely be very happy with this conversation. So, Kylie, oh, great. <laughs> thank you so much. I look forward to seeing you and your show in Edinburgh. And uh, absolutely, yeah, thanks again. Thanks for having me.
This episode of the Comics Comic Presents Last Things First was post-produced by Alex Brazell at Showbiz Studios. The music was by Camille Harris and Shockwave, logo by Giggle Chick. If you enjoyed listening, please check out my Substack called Piffany at piffany.substack.com for transcripts, bonus commentary, and expert analysis about comedy, show business, and more. I'm your host, Sean O. McCarthy. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.